Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I am your host, senior fashion reporter Danny Parisi, and I'm here with Glossy's editor-in-chief, Jill Manoff. Hello, Jill. Hello, Danny. Today, we're going to talk about a couple things. So Ferragamo's growth plans, um, they have new CEO, Marco Gobetti, uh, formerly of Burberry, has some plans for how he's going to grow the brand, which we will talk about. We'll talk about some details from the earning reports of some big resale platforms. And finally, we will talk about brands who have spoken out about the Supreme Court's leaked draft of a decision overturning Roe v. Wade, um, which I'm sure everyone listening already knows a lot about, but we'll we'll talk about it from the fashion angle. Um, but Jill, let's start with Ferragamo. So uh, this week, like I said, their new CEO, Marco Gabetti, I think this was on a call with investors, was talking about how he has plans to double the brand's sales to $2 billion in the in the next five years. Um, I I like Ferragamo, and I've always like been a fan of like their designs and stuff, but I didn't really realize that they have not recovered as well as some other luxury brands since the pandemic. I think they're still their sales are like 10% below pre-pandemic levels. And I think a lot of their contemporaries are at pre-pandemic or more. I think Louis Vuitton's like way past pre-pandemic levels. They've been growing a lot. So um, I did not realize that Ferragamo was kind of underperforming. And I think even before the pandemic started, they were kind of a little bit not where they wanted to be. So anyway, that was just a Not a surprise, but just I I didn't realize that they were kind of not in a good place. But they have a new CEO, like I said, and they also have a new creative director, Maximilian Davis, who I was horrified to learn is 26 years old. Um, (laughs) Definitely doesn't make me feel like a failure, but. (laughs) (laughs) I always feel like that when they're young. I'm like, oh. Oh, yeah. I feel like I'm just getting to the age where there are people younger than me who are successful and who, who aren't like teenagers or something. Um, but yeah, so th- he's great though. I mean, I, Maximilian Davis, he just launched his own line or his own brand like two years ago, I think. So he started very young um, and to immediately go to, not immediately, but you know, within a couple of years, become creative director of a pretty big, reputable luxury brand. That's that's huge for him. So um, definitely seems like they're they're counting on some of his... Uh, youthful energy to kind of revitalize the brand. Um, before I go on any further, Jill, any, what are your thoughts on on Ferragamo's plans here? Yeah, I mean, they're ambitious. Uh, gosh, what is it? Double sales in four to five years. Um, I mean, that that's... I, I worry because right now the CEO, he basically said, you know, somebody, an analyst said, you know, you've tried to do this before, right? Ship the business, accelerate growth. Um, and Gobetti said, yeah, but now we have this amazing new creative director, um, Maximilian Davis. And we've talked a lot about in, in podcast past about the pressure on the designer to turn things around in a, in a short time. This is a short time. Um, he has a new team behind him and there's a move to do something entirely new, a, a heavier focus on ready to wear casual, the casualization of the brand, more focus, um, I, ho- I don't know if it's going to go a streetwear type of uh, a way, but it, it, they were alluding to this. Um, I, I'm interested to see what they come out with and kind of a focus beyond shoes and bags that they're known for. But yes, the pressure is on. Yeah, it definitely feels very urgent in a way where that, you know, I'm not necessarily sure is, is good. Um, I mean, if I was a 26-year-old 
designer put in charge of a big brand and and had all this pressure. And the CEO is like, you know, doing public calls where he's talking about how this is going to happen so fast and, and, you know, putting all the pressure on me. I don't know if I would love that, but, um, but yeah, no, it definitely, Gobetti said multiple times that he thinks there's a lot they can do like in a very short time. Like he, he explicitly was talking about, you know, hoping to see a really fast, um, return on on some of these changes. The one thing that stood out to me was them saying that they wanted to uh, double their marketing spend. Um, And so, you know, if their sales are already down, I think also increasing increasing spends is like going to be a little bit risky. But at the same time, I do feel like that's a good move because like I said, I always like their clothes. And like when I see Ferragamo, I always think it's cool. But the thing is, I feel like I never hear about them. You know, I, I feel like they're not in the headlines as much. They don't do as much kind of like attention grabbing stuff. So like if they were going to increase, you know, where they're putting more money, I feel like that's not the worst idea. Right. And there was a word about, um, well, marketing and also communications. I would think PR, maybe they'll talk to us more. (laughs) Hey, we're here. Maybe (laughs) Maybe um, they'll respond to my emails now. Yeah, there was um, a quote about um, creating heat and visibility. I think that it mm-hmm. kind of equates to buzz. And it's true. This is a quiet brand compared to others in this space, for sure. Um, in addition to marketing, they're going to pay more attention to their upsc- to their digital presence, um, elevate that, their stores, some renovations happening there, technology, supply chain. Really, I mean improvements and investments across the board. But um, yeah, to compete, I, I think it's needed. And they're not saying their profit's going to raise, you know, 50%. It, this is all um, revenue. So yeah, we'll see. I think it'll probably be worth it in the end. And we, we're going to talk about this a little bit on the resale side later in, in the podcast. But um, I think these investments right now, when you're kind of, um, you you can sit back and say, what do we want to do here? It's it's definitely a big time of change for brands and retailers. So um, hopefully it, it seems smart to do it now. Yeah, definitely. And then one final thing, you, you mentioned the the product, um, but like Maximilian Davis is young, but I like looking at some of his designs, they're not like especially like street wary or like look super, I don't know, edgy or anything like that. Like it just looks like really, you know, good classic luxury design. So I'm I'm wondering what exactly they're thinking with him is because like like I, I'm not saying he's he, he seems like a great designer, but I'm like if they want him to bring in youthful like our more younger customers or is that not the focus or, you know, we'll, we'll see like kind of what his first, you know, couple collections look like and stuff and, and how they present it. Um, yeah, they but, did say they did say younger cu- customer is a target. Oh, they did. Also, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, also women, also the mm-hmm. U.S. market, which they were saying um, the CEO was saying is where this more fashion, more casual mm. um, customer is. Also China, so younger okay. women, U.S. China. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I I always associate Ferragamo with men's, but maybe that's just because I kind of like I learned about them like in high school from looking at different like suit brands and stuff. So I kind of like associate them with tailoring, like men's tailoring and stuff. But, um, but yeah, I guess that, that, that make, if they said that, then that makes sense that that's where they'll go. Um, there was one other thing I was going to say, oh, I, I wanted to draw the comparison to Tiffany, which I think is another kind of like classic luxury brand that has gone for a really youthful, edgy kind of marketing direction recently. And I think we talked about this recently that it hasn't quite, it hasn't been bad, but it hasn't quite brought them the young audience that I think they were hoping to get from that. So I wonder if Ferragamo will kind of 
see something similar where they put a lot of effort into specifically getting a younger audience and whether that actually draws them in. Because I feel like it's so hard to predict, you know, what becomes cool among younger people. You know, I don't know. Um, but again, they have like a 26-year-old designer at the helm, so he knows. Um, and we'll see. Yeah. And I mean, it takes a minute for for something to sink in as being like covetable and, and being the it item. So um, unless it's more affordable, I, I, it does take time. So yeah, some concerns there. Also um, worth noting that there wasn't talk about moving to direct to consumer. They're still going to play in the wholesale mm-hmm. wholesale realm. Um, so that's interesting. Yeah. And I think they talked about revamping their physical stores as well. Although I don't think there was a ton of detail about how exactly, but um, it did feel like a lot of his statements were like, everything's going to be better. Like, we're just going to do it all better. <laughs> um, and maybe they will. I mean, Burberry was like, I think, pretty successful under him. Um, Maximilian Davis seems like a really good designer. So, I mean, at the very least, like they have people who have done this before up top. Um, so we'll, yeah, we'll see I think, where it goes. I think we'll see uh, the this come to fruition. I think September is when the first collection will come out under this new management, new team. Cool. All right. Well, in September then, around next Fashion Week, Joe, we will have another discussion about Ferragamo and and uh, and and compare to our to this episode and see if we were anywhere close in predicting what they would do. But let's Love talk it. about resale. So this week there was earnings reports from two big resale companies, um, the Real Real on Tuesday and ThreadUp on Monday, and some interesting bits from both. So first thing I wanted to talk about is that for so for the Real Real, they saw their their revenue went up. Um, almost 50% higher than it was a year ago. So a lot of new sales, um, but I think profits were down, so they're spending more. So Julie Wainwright, the founder of Real Real, said something really interesting where she said that as inflation continues and people are more price conscious and stuff like that, resale will benefit because it's like the cost value, you know, you can buy the same stuff at a resale price. And like, I do think that for all the talk of like sustainability and stuff of resale, I do think that's the primary draw is just that it's, you know, it's luxury stuff and it's cheaper and it's like good quality. So, you know, I, I do think that's um, a big benefit of it. Um, but I was wondering, like reading that quote from her about it, there's also the possibility that instead of like, like somebody who wants to buy luxury, instead of them going from buying it directly from the brand or from a, re- like from the primary market and going to buying it from the real real, do they just like not buy it at all? You know, like if, does, does, price uh does inflation and and the economy being bad just like make people just not buy that stuff at all or or buy it less rather than going for you know what i mean and i feel like that's the question for all the luxury resellers especially the real real like are they competing with the other luxury brands or are they competing with other stuff that's at the same price point you know what i mean and i feel like that's always kind of a weird question for them yeah i think you're so right like we're heading toward a recession. Are people buying clothes? Um, it seemed like between these two earnings reports, ThreadUp and The Real Real this week, that um, ThreadUp was kind of being, I guess, cautionary about, yeah, are people going to shop? They were more taking that approach, like we get, like you're saying. And The Real Real was more saying, well, our luxury customer is not going to stop shopping or they're not doing that now. They're moving from these higher cost items like shoes and bags, bags mostly, I think, um, toward ready to wear fashion. They're selling more um, clothes than they had in the past. 
uh, which is interesting. There's also, I mean, maybe there's going to be an inventory problem as well because um, there's always, we talk about the competition for sellers and as everyone's trying to to make money and, and be smart about their money, I'm sure they're going to see a, a, I don't know, bombardment, bombarding of, of sellers coming their way. Yeah. I mean, and the, the real real talked about um, one of the high points of their earnings was that there's a lot of new sellers. Actually, I think ThreadUp said that as well. But um, I think the real real said that over 40% of their sellers are first time sellers. And, and every time I talk to them, they've mentioned that, that that's like a consistent thing for them is that they bring a lot of people into resale for the first time. And so that's a point in their favor of like, whether people will do more resale if the economy's bad, you know. So, um, and and ThreadUp said they grew their active buyers by 33%. So ThreadUp seeing more buyers, real real seeing more sellers. Um, but I, I also think there's a little ambiguity of like, well, how many people are continuing to sell after that first time? Is it just a one-time thing to make some money? Then are they then using that money to buy stuff at the real real too? Or is it just a way to offload stuff? But you're right, there's so many options now for resale. It's like gotten so huge and a lot of the brands are doing it that they're, uh, you know, people can spread their inventory out among like a lot of different, you know, platforms. Um, So I know like a lot of the rental platforms have seen inventory problems recently. um, And I wonder if resale will see the same. That's definitely a good point. Yeah. And like you said, how everybody is going there um, and resale is becoming bigger. The the stat is out there that it will be a $77 billion industry by 2025. And it's obviously catching steam or catching traction. Um, every brand, um, I think ThreadUp said this in their earnings, every brand will eventually within the next couple of years have a resale option. Um, of course, ThreadUp is among those that are powering this for them with their um, resale as a service uh, business that's also um, saw great growth. Um, so hmm, yeah, to be, TBD, I guess if you don't offer this service, brands are bringing it in-house. Does the Real Real have any, I know Vestiaire Collective does, they power it for my Teresa. Um, mm-hmm. The Real Real isn't going there, right? I don't think so. I don't think the Real Real has, uh, from what I've seen, expressed any interest in doing like resale as a service. And I actually think that was very smart of ThreadUp to get into that because they sort of you could kind of see the indications that this was happening like two two years ago, maybe with like Trove or um, what was that other one? Castle, like those those kinds of behind the scenes company that power resale for brands. Um, and like a lot of resale people I've talked to have talked for years now about like every brand doing resale and how ever you know it's going to be such a huge thing. And I think it's smart of ThreadUp too, rather than try and compete with that, like just be the people behind it because they already have the 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 tools for it. They already know how to do it. That was very smart of them. But again, the real real is interesting because they've always tried to position themselves as like a, not necessarily a technology company, but like a retailer, like a, a fancy luxury, like a like a sex, um, except you're getting it for, at a lower price. So I, I feel like they have a little bit of sometimes this is in their favor. And sometimes I think they have a little bit of an identity crisis where it's like, are, is your shopper a luxury customer? Like, or is it somebody who aspires to be a luxury customer? Like who, who are you competing with? And some other resale places have said that they are, you know, competing with fast fashion or they're competing with stuff at the same price level, but the real, real feels like it's competing with others in the same like aesthetic category. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, it's funny. They mentioned their kind of labeling or what they prefer on, on their earnings. Um, they didn't reference luxury or non-luxury, but I thought it was interesting where I was like, what's the difference? What's the difference? They said, we're not an e-commerce company. We're a marketplace. Right. Which is <laughs> so vague and weird. But I mean, I don't know. They they are like, I think, big players in the space for sure. But they, I feel like they are intentionally not trying to dilute what they do with like, oh, we also offer resale as a service. And we also do this. They're kind of like, no, we're just like a place to buy luxury, like, you know, a really curated, like fancy luxury kind of experience. Um, but again, like the inflation question is really interesting because I could see like what Julie Wainwright is saying will happen happening, but I also could just see people just not buying that much luxury or, or buying something else. So, um, and again, they've got so many options now for resale. Um, so I think the real reels like novelty of like doesn't really exist anymore because there's you know a million places where you can buy stuff secondhand um yeah Yeah. investors are like feeling war i they're they're not happy at the moment like the the profitability of these companies isn't great but also um i think what we need to watch moving forward is uh the almost the land grab like we're seeing a lot of expansion international expansion by these companies Everybody sees the growth that's ahead for resale and the opportunity um, and spending, 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 um, whether that's on infrastructure, technology. Um, I know the Real Real mentioned that they were going to invest in um, almost like Rebag does, like automated tools. Well, is, is Rebag automated? They've come out with a lot of cool, great tools, yeah. I would say, for um, authentication around jewelry and handbags and such. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so the investment in the technology first and also... Um, Thread Up is really focused on Europe. Um, we know that mm-hmm. Vestier Collective recently acquired TradeZ to expand yeah. their U.S. presence. And so yes. I think it's kind of like marking territory and building now, um, just like we talked about on, on the luxury front. Yeah, for sure. And actually, that's a that's a really good point about Rebag. And I think they're, they and Thread Up are both doing something kind of similar, which is like trying to own a piece of like the idea of resale, you know what I mean? Like ThreadUp's resale as a service thing is kind of everywhere right now. Like there's a million different brands using it. And, um, you know, maybe that's not the real reels, like that's not what the real real wants to do, but it is undeniably like, you know, you see ThreadUp's name everywhere. When you look, when you go to Madewell's um, resale or something like that's thre- that's ThreadUp uh, or you know, a million other brands that I could think of, like M.M. LaFleur or whatever, that's thread up. Like, so they're there and they kind of like have become a go-to like tool for a lot of these brands. And, and Rebag, I think, has kind of tried to do something similar with, they have that tool called Claire that is supposed to be kind of like this catalog of tracking handbag prices up and down, like, and and they want that to be used outside of just Rebag. They want it to just be like a part of the, the entire resale ecosystem. So, um, there's, there's, there's some land grabbing there too, of like owning just like parts of like the concept of resale as well. True. True. Interesting. When you said like you see thread up everywhere, cause it made me go, wait, what? I thought they had actually more brand partners and I read in their earnings that they will have 40 by the end of the year. I mean, I, mm. that's a lot. But it I guess it's more. It, it feels like more, but I think yeah. it's a it's a lot of like big names though too. It's like uh, I might have to made yeah, well. 
Adidas, Madewell, I might have to double check some of those, but it's like a lot of big ones. They're not obscure like DTC brands or something. So, okay, last thing we're gonna talk about is, um, we'll, we'll talk about Gucci specifically, but just in general, the, the fashion brands that have spoken out about the Supreme Court decision to effectively overturn Roe v. Wade, which would allow um, states across the country to enact various levels of bans on abortions. There are already some trigger laws in a, in place that would go into effect like basically immediately uh, after the decision is made. Um, so, so interestingly to me, Jill, is that I feel like in 2020, when there were um, the kind of Black Lives Matter protests, I feel like brands maybe were a little hesitant at first, but then very quickly there was like a tidal wave of every company in fashion like weighing in and putting out statements and donating and stuff. And I feel like this is, there's a little bit more hesitancy um, from a lot of these brands. They're, they're, there's a lot of statements. Our, our, um, my colleague, Sarah Spruk-Feiner, uh, has been cataloging a bunch of them on Glossy. There is a story, which I can link to, um, that has a list of every brand that she's found um, and their statements and what they're doing and stuff, and it's being updated. So um, shout out to her for, for doing all that great work. Um, but it's a lot of like smaller brands. It's like Parade. Um, what was the other one I have here? Majuri, like a couple of their, uh, smaller brands and a lot of them that are like more explicitly kind of progressive and that's part of their brand. And as far as like big brands go, it's like Gucci and Levi's, right? Are the only two or is, is there more that you've seen, Joe? I mean, those are the ba- the main ones for sure, the biggest ones. Um, and like you said, yeah, it's usually just, an, uh, it just means one brand does it that's influential and large, and then all brands go there because they got the okay. But yeah, it's not the same this time. Like you said, Sarah's doing some amazing reporting on this. She's got her eye down. And one thing that she noted, which is interesting, is that like founders on their own accounts on Instagram, Twitter, are being very vocal about how, you know, just supporting reproductive rights and what needs to happen and on the brands, it's a totally different story. They're silent. And for all oh, since 2020, like, I feel like we talk a lot about um, values and what what customers want to see from a brand. And when we talk to brands almost every day, and always what they tell me um, is this day and age, you can't not say anything. Your customer wants to connect with you. They want to know your values. You've got to comment with on everything, like on everything, no ifs, ands, or buts. So regardless of how they feel, the fact that there's silence, I want to pull up all the quotes from the last two years and say, hey. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I feel like I've heard the exact same thing from, you know, dozens of brands over the last two years of like, yeah, you have to speak out. It's not enough to be silent and you'll be called out if you're silent and stuff. And yet there's a kind of deafening silence right now, I think. from And there was that PR firm that I don't think does a lot of fashion PR, but there was like this article, I should probably should have looked up their name, um, that, that that a memo basically leaked from from them advising all of their clients to like not say anything. Um, and there was, a, you know, another thing is that Axios, the, the news site, they sent a memo to their staff on Monday um, of this week that was disallowing or, or I guess discouraging their reporters from protesting the decision or tweeting about it um, or or doing anything like that, even though it permitted their reporters to do exactly that in 2020. And there's this funny 
statement in there that said the the Black Lives Matter protest in 2020 was a fleeting moment of unity. Um, but like this isn't for some reason. Like, I don't know. It just is it's not a very good explanation of why it's not allowed, but it does feel like there's a lot more hesitancy about this just in general among like big kind of corporate entities than there was at all in 2020. Um, so the statements from like Gucci and Levi's are interesting. And, and maybe, again, we're recording this on Wednesday. By the time this comes out on Friday, maybe there will be more. But as of right now, those are the only two big ones that I've seen. One other interesting thing is that Gucci has said that for all of its U.S. employees, it will pay for travel costs to, if you are in a state with like harsh abortion restrictions, to travel to another state. Um, something they don't mention is that with some of the proposed or or um, prepared like trigger laws on abortion restrictions, even if you travel somewhere else and get an abortion and come back, you can still, you know, be prosecuted for that. So um, it's like, it's something, but it's like, I don't know, it's, it's going to be really tough for a lot of those people. And I don't know, is Gucci going to cover their legal costs too, if they do get like, you know, charged with something like that. So I don't know, it, it's, I don't know what exactly they're going to do or what they can do or what they should do. But um, it is, it's, it's interesting that it's like just those two big ones as far as we know. Yeah. And Levi's took the same approach about the paying, reimbursing employees for the travel to other states. Um, so that's a really good point. Also, the fact that this PR company and this media company are making these kind of blanket states statements, I mean, and the receipts, like, I can't, it's really, I can't believe that they did that, honestly, just because, you know, the receipts are out there. Of course, people are going to share this and go, wait, what? And then you're going to, I don't know, here's backlash. Um, on the on the beauty side within our, our team, there's a lot of talk about, um, you know, they were, these brands were built on the backs, not the backs, but like on women's spending, like, you know, so, and the fact that you're not doing something to show support for women and their bodies, like, um, it's, it's very, I guess, hypocritical. Um, yeah. And, and I like, even if we want to look at it totally, like from a heartless, like pragmatist view, I'm like, if you, if you made the calculation in 2020 and decided that like the people who would be mad about you supporting Black Lives Matter are not the people you really care about as your customer, is it really like that? Is it not the same kind of people really that would be mad about you making a statement about you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm just like, even from a pragmatist view, like, are they risk? Are they at that much risk? Of, you know, if you're some like super progressive or, or at least outwardly super progressive fashion entity and, you know, you talk about diversity and, and equality and like all this stuff frequently in your marketing, like what are you risking by just coming out and, and supporting uh, reproductive rights? I, I'm just not sure what the calculation is there. You yeah. Know, are they, there are questions because like I I honestly don't know what my question is. What was the response when Gucci put this out in a, an Instagram or however and Levi's like, what what are they seeing? Yeah. Oh, I, are you asking me? Because I, I yeah, don't I, I don't know. No. What, are, what are their customers saying? What, are, what is the response? What are the comments? Are they mm -hmm. seeing a ton of backlash? I haven't heard that. Yeah, I don't think so. Um Gucci, especially maybe more than Levi's, I guess, is a little more universal, like more, you know, evenly spread across like the country and stuff. And but at Gucci, I feel like is I, I don't this is like so I have no data behind this at all. But I feel like the Gucci average Gucci customer 
is probably in support of reproductive rights. I can't imagine there's a ton of like really ultra conservative pro-life Gucci wearers out there, but who knows? I could be, I could be wrong about that. And this isn't new for the brand. They've done other things. Um, I don't think Planned Parenthood, but um, in support of women and, and reproductive rights, it's not the first time. Uh, but all I know is from here, when brands tell me something about being vocal, I'm going to ask, yeah, did you <laughs> remark on the Supreme Court Roe right. versus Wade? Yeah. And and I do think there's like a question of like, like the, the thing we're saying where a lot of brands have said you have to weigh in on everything. It's like, Okay, to be fair, you don't have to weigh on everything. Like, I (laughs) understand that. But this is huge. I mean, this is like, if you're going to weigh in on something, how could it not be this? Like, I I don't know. Um, It feels like brands have weighed in on much smaller, less consequential stuff than this, like, massive overturning of, like, a 50-year-old, like, settled law or a settled decision, basically. So um, that would like drastically impact like a ton of people's material lives. So it's like not like a small little thing you can kind of just like, oh, that's none of our business. You know, they <laughs> like a lot of these brands have weighed in on much less consequential stuff. Agree. Well, let's stop it there. Um, This was a very fun episode, Jill. Thank you, as always, for being here. For those of you listening, if you have not given us a rating and a review wherever you're listening to this, it actually is very helpful. So please do so if you can. And if you're not subscribed, you definitely should be because not only will you hear me and Jill talking every Friday, but also every Wednesday, you'll hear Jill talking to some very interesting people from the industry. Jill, who's up next? Up next, we have Stacy Boyd, who is behind the luxury re- retailer uh, online called Alavela. And yeah, they put charities uh, and yes, they're a do-good company, let's say. They support charities. Uh, I think 20% of the profit goes to um, worth it charity. All right. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for being here, Jill, and thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you.